And if you're struggling with doubt, listen, you are not alone and you're wrestling with your faith. Okay, we've all been there. We've all been there. You're okay. We've all been there. But listen, don't stay there. Don't stay there. What Jesus says is you doubted and you you struggled with believing, but right now, consider it. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believe is what Jesus commands of him. Don't stay in your doubt. Move past it. Continue on. Listen, I think a lot of people stay in their doubt is because they stop seeking. And because they stop seeking, they stop finding. And that's what the Bible says. If you seek, you will find. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. All right, John chapter 5. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Let's pray. Okay. Lord, we thank you for this time. I thank you, God, that um, as we celebrate this week, we're just reminded of what you've done for us and the great sacrifice that you made for us. We're reminded this week specifically that you love us so much. And um, Lord, we're reminded again, again and again, that our sins have been paid for. And we're just so thankful for that. And um, God, I pray as we go through your word, um, that you would speak to us in the power of the Holy Spirit that you would teach us by your spirit what it is to walk with you, to know you. Um, Jesus, that you'd open our understanding again to your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, last week we looked at the resurrection of Jesus. um, And Mary Magdalene had gone to the tomb early in the morning with other women. We know there are other women involved in that. Uh, And what she discovers is that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb and the tomb was empty. And after John and Peter had come to the tomb to see, in fact, that the tomb was empty, Mary has this encounter with the risen Lord and then is commissioned to go and tell the disciples that indeed he is alive. And so um, that's kind of where we left off in our story is this conversation between Mary and Jesus. Remember when Jesus says her name, that's when her eyes are open to the fact that this is the risen Lord. This is the Savior. And um She's clinging to him. I mean, she won't even let go. And Jesus says, don't cling to me. Basically, like, please let go. We got some other things we have to do. Um, And so we pick up our story in uh, verse 19. On that same day, but later in the evening, um, it being the first day of the week, so it's still Resurrection Sunday for them. um, and, And they're all meeting together, gathering together, assembled in the upper room. And you'll notice that the doors were locked. Um, this wasn't kind of, as we ended last week, that's not the end of the story for us. And we continue through this chapter later that same day, Luke's gospel tells us that although it says that it was the disciples, we know that it wasn't just the 10 or the original, um, 10 because Thomas isn't here at this time and Judas is gone, but there are other disciples that are there. So the room is full, um, with different people. And that's going to be vital to us understanding, uh, some of the instructions as we go on, but As you'll notice, uh, they're in this place and the doors are locked. But the good thing is, is that the disciples are assembled together on Resurrection Day. 
in the upper room behind locked doors. And it's good that they're together. They're assembling together. They haven't just fled and kind of hid. They're all together um, praying, seeking the Lord. I mean, you can imagine just kind of like the emotions of the day, the confusion of the day. Um, you're excited. You're sad. Some believe. So don't. Some don't believe. Um, so just a lot going on. But they're all together. And it says, as they're assembled together, they've locked the doors for fear of the Jews. They were afraid that the same thing that had been done to Jesus would then be done to them at any minute. That there, there would be a knock at that door and it would be the religious leaders coming to take them away and do the very same thing to them. And so they had this room sealed off, completely closed, doors were locked. But suddenly, Jesus materializes in the room. He's standing there in the room, um, in the midst of them. And he says to them, peace be with you. Now, if you think about it, we don't want to get too weird with the whole like, teleportation and and materializing and holograms and all that stuff. But what we're seeing, though, is that in other Gospels, it tells us that they were terrified. They were scared because of they thought it was a ghost. Um, the look of the resurrected body that Jesus had was different than what they were used to. And so they're, they're fearful. And what it tells us, though, is that this resurrected body interacts differently with the material world than the physical body interacts with it. Jesus is able to kind of enter a room without opening a door. He can move through solid walls and, and different things like that. But as he materializes into this room, we're reminded also that someday, and the reality is for all of us, is that we're going to have a resurrected body, a new body. Uh, one that doesn't get winded by going up four stairs. Uh, things like that. That's going to be exciting. Um Things that don't, like bodies that don't break down and get old and get sore and fall apart. I mean, these, it's really exciting to think about what heaven, uh, what lies ahead for us with these new bodies. But it's interesting when you think about the obsession, and I want to emphasize that specifically, the obsession that our culture has with superhero and like superhuman things and and all of that, the supernatural, like the body being able to do supernatural things. I've watched, I think, like two, uh, Thor Ragnarok, that was the best one. But I've only watched like a few of these like superhero movies, but I guess they were like a big deal. And everyone watched them and everyone was like going to see them. Even the Captain Marvel one, which I don't know why you'd go see that one. Um, or Ant-Man. Apparently it was a big deal. But people are obsessed with this idea of the superhero or the body being able to do these supernatural things. And, you know, why are we talking about this? So why do you think that is? Why do, why is the culture so enthralled with that? And I think perhaps it's because it's something that God has placed in us. It's an itch that we can't scratch in this world to draw us to our purpose and ultimately to the destiny that God has for us with him in heaven as we get a new body that's able to do these different things and it, it you know can ascend into heavens and fly and do all this stuff it's something that we all want but we realize there's limits within these bodies and someday we'll be given a new body a resurrected body one that can function within the reality of heaven itself but jesus shows up in this room and the first thing he says to his disciples is peace peace um peace be with you 
He wants them to know that they don't have to be scared. They don't have to be worried. Um, and then he said this. He showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. So as he reveals his hands and his side to them, they realize that this is the risen Lord, that what Peter and John had, had said was true. The report of Mary is true. This is him. This is Jesus. He's in the room. He's in our midst bodily. I mean, the fact that he had um, cuts and, and they were visible and they could touch them, it, it tells us something about the teaching that was going on in that time was this idea of Gnosticism. And John combats it in First John and talks about how uh, the belief was that Jesus was a phantom, that he uh, resurrected, but it was like a ghost or a spirit that kind of moved about. And as he moved, he wouldn't leave footprints and how he was just kind of a phantom kind of a, a thing. But we, we have to understand that the body of Jesus, the resurrected body of Jesus was a physical bodily resurrection. There is no tomb or there is a tomb, but there's no body inside of it. There's no bones inside of it because his body was a resurrected. It, it, it was alive again. Um, and so uh, that's important for us to understand. But as he moves forward, he's going to give them things. He gives them five different things in, um, in verse 20. He says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them, peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also sent you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, you, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained, which is an interesting verse. And we'll talk about what that means. But the first thing that Jesus gives them as he shows up in this room is number one, assurance. He gives them assurance. It's really me is what he's assuring them of. Here are my hands. Here is my side. I'm alive. Um, he wants to assure them that they what they heard was true. The resurrection of Jesus will be that, that, that kind of crux for them that pushes them on in their ministry because life is going to get really difficult from here on out, like it was hard, but it's going to get harder for them um, because of what they're about to or to endure. But the resurrection and being assured of the fact that Jesus is alive will propel them and drive them in the race and the rest of the race that they're running as they will be called to suffer for the Lord and ultimately die for their faith. They needed that assurance that he was in fact Alive, And notice what Jesus shows them in order to do that. He doesn't reveal a new idea or a new philosophy. He reveals himself. He reveals himself. And that's what we need. Like for assurance of our faith, we need a fresh vision of Jesus, not, not a new philosophy or a new idea or some kind of new way of living. We need a fresh vision and reassurance of the fact that Jesus is alive. And that's why Easter is so cool. And that's why we celebrate every year. As we come around to it, we're again assured of the fact that the, the grave is empty. Jesus is alive and therefore we too shall live. And it propels us and teaches us how to live in light of the resurrection of Jesus. So the second thing he wants to give them is peace, peace. He says to them, uh, and he gives, the, gives it to them by the fact that he is alive. The resurrection of Jesus brings peace because as we said last week, it is the guarantee, it is the guarantee that the sacrifice of Jesus worked. 
that when he died upon the cross for our sins, the fact that he rose again from the grave is proof of the fact that the sins were paid for and, and he was now giving victory over sin and death by rising again. Therefore, we have peace knowing that Jesus is alive because that means for you and me, that means our sins are forgiven. Past, present, even the future ones that we haven't committed yet, those have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And the presence of Jesus was to bring peace not only to the disciples, but it brings peace to us as well. His presence um, as we went through Psalm 23, sorry to beat a dead horse, but ultimately that was the thing that brought peace to the sheep of that pasture was the fact that the shepherd was there with them always. He was taking care of them. He was around them. He was feeding them. It reminded them that presence brought peace to them as wild animals and all these things were about them. The, it was the presence of the the shepherd that brought, brought peace to um to those sheep. And the same thing as Jesus enters the room and he materializes before them, it brings peace to his disciples that are just scared to death as to what is going to take place next. But it also brings peace to us who are sitting at home, not knowing what's going to happen next. Regardless of what happens next, we do know what happened in the past. And that is Jesus rose from the grave. Therefore we live in this state of peace because of what Jesus has done for us. The third thing that Jesus gives them is a mission. He gives them a mission. He says to them, uh, peace I also, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus sends them on a mission. The resurrected Jesus sends his people out as well. And how was Jesus sent? He wasn't sent as, um, as a celebrity. He wasn't sent with this uh, magnetic personality. He wasn't sent with, you know, as an inventor and like bringing all these inventions and people would be like, wow, I'm so enthralled by these inventions or, or whatever. He came as a simple savior to teach, to live among people, to suffer for the truth and for righteousness and to rescue men and women from their sins. And listen, that is what we have been sent to do as well. God, not only are we a saved people, we are a sent people into the mission field, not just across the world or across the ocean, but as you go out every single day, we are a sent people to teach, to live among them, to suffer for the truth, and to seek to rescue the lost. Um, from this broken world. And listen, that is the pattern that Jesus lived. And then he sends us out with that pattern to live after. And the fourth thing that Jesus gave us was, or gave his disciples was the Holy Spirit. I'm getting all excited. There's no one even in the garage with me and I'm just getting a little excited. So let me take a sip of coffee here. This is uh, Maui Coffee Roasters. I want to thank the McCook family for their sponsorship. <laughs> And for braving Costco to send me these wonderful beans. Praise God. Zapow. So good. All right. So he sends or gives us also the Holy Spirit. Now this is this is amazing. Look what it says. And when he had said this, when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He gives them the Holy Spirit and he breathes on them, which is interesting. It's the same language that we find in the book of Genesis. As God breathed the breath of life or breath or or spirit, it's the same kind of wind or spirit or breath. It's the same kind of idea, same kind of word that's used is this idea of breathing life into uh, and what animated and brought Adam to life. It's bath time, so the water's going on. So when, when, <laughs> when Jesus breathed on his disciples, it's the same language. As they're animated, they're brought to life, meaning that this is when their souls are regenerated. They're brought into newness of life in the Lord. They believe this is where, or I believe this is where the disciples were born again or regenerated in their soul. And they believed and had faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so they were reanimated or brought to life, regenerated in their soul. And later, and the the point is, is because later on in the book of Acts, we read of the day of Pentecost where they are receiving again the Holy Spirit. And you're like, well, I thought they already received the Holy Spirit. How come it had to happen twice? They receive the Holy Spirit for regeneration of the soul. It brings them what was dead to life, but then also a greater dimension of the Holy Spirit is poured out on them to continue in the mission and what they're called to do for the sake of the gospel. As Jesus pours out his Spirit upon them there in the upper room, it says that the, the power of God came upon them. It, they were baptized or baptismo. It's, it means not only to be dipped, but to be pickled. It means that their, their outer, it, it, was, it was changed. Something had, had changed in them, that, that whatever they were before was different now. And so not only were they regenerated of soul and brought to, to, uh, to life by God's spirit, they were then empowered by his spirit, equipped to do what God had called them to do. And look what he says. What I have received, or received the Holy Spirit, if I have a little, little, what do you say? I send you in the same way that I, I was sent. In the same sense, he says, it's the same Spirit. The same Spirit. The, what he is saying is, the same that is in me is now in you. And when Jesus was walking this earth, the things that he did was not necessarily in his Godhead that he was performing all these miracles, but as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. There were flexes and moments of which we saw him as God in ways that he was doing things. This was God. But in the things that he did, he says, in, in the way that I, I have received the Spirit, or I had the Spirit, I'm now giving it to you. It's a powerful thing to think about. It's powerful. It's powerful. We have received the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We have the same Spirit living inside of us. It's what God has given his church for the fulfillment of the mission of God. Listen, a church that is operating, a a human, a Christian that is operating without the Holy Spirit, there's no power behind it. What what brings power and what, what the church is doing, if it's powerful, if it's working, if God is moving, if dead is coming to life, if generosity is happening, if people are loving each other, these are evidences of the Spirit of God working in and among His church. And it doesn't happen apart, or it doesn't last apart from the Spirit of God. The fifth thing he says is you've been given authority. Authority to announce and forgiveness and warn of guilt. 
to announce forgiveness. Now, he doesn't say here that you have the ability to forgive the sins of any. Like if you you can go and say, hey, you confessing your sin to me, I'm able to then purge you of those sins. That's not what's being communicated. What he's saying is you have the authority and you've been given the authority to announce forgiveness upon people. In the sense that when someone comes and says, I confess my sin, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, you can tell them with confidence that they have been forgiven. Yes, you have been forgiven of your sins. You've been cleansed, you've been washed by the blood of Jesus. Yes, you have been forgiven. We've been given the authority to announce that as the church. But we've also been given this responsibility as well to warn of guilt. I can't forgive sin, neither can you. But we get to announce that forgiveness has taken place. But the other side of that responsibility is to warn others that if they don't confess their sins, if they don't receive the forgiveness of their sins from Jesus as their Savior, then their sins are not forgiven. And those sins will drag them down to an eternal separation from God. That is the other side of the coin. There's this wonderful gift of of announcing forgiveness, but also the responsibility of warning to those who do not come to Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. I hope that makes sense. Because it sounds like if they want to hold a grudge, they can and like not let their sins be forgiven and, and all this stuff. And remember who this is. This is not just to the original 10 apostles because Thomas isn't there and Judas had hung himself by this point. They're not there. It's not just the 10. It's to all of those that were following Jesus at that time. Those that had joined in and were were followers, close followers of Jesus Christ who are hearing this being said and given this authority. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 24, we now turn our attention to our buddy Thomas. It says, now Thomas called the twin. One of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. Pages are stuck. So he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now we often call this guy, tell me what we call him. What's his nickname? Comment right here over here in this little section here. What is his nickname? We call him something Thomas. That's right. Doubting Thomas. There we go. Doubting Thomas. Thank you. Yep, there we go. It's all coming in now. There was a delay. I get it. Um, Doubting Thomas. So we call him Doubting Thomas or Doubting Thomas. Okay, we're getting there. Some of you have like a uh, Spanish version. All right, so we call him Doubting Tommy, Doubting Thomas. Those are all great ones. But when you read this, I don't think that he's doubting. Now, let me just... For a second here. Look what he says. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. Like they're like, We've seen him. He's alive. Oh my goodness, you should have seen, you should have been here. It's like when people like go surfing and the waves are terrible. And everyone's like, Man, you should have been here yesterday. It was so good. And you're like, I don't believe you. Same thing. He's not doubting. He is not doubting. He's just straight up not believing. The same great, like. He says to them, like, I'm not doubting that you saw him. I just don't believe you. Like, I don't believe what you say. Um, He's not really doubting. He is refusing to believe. He looks at the people in that room and considers their character and their integrity and their testimony. He says, 
I do not believe you. Peter, John, I've known you for a few years now. Great guys, men of character. I don't believe you. And unless I see it for myself, I won't believe it. Like that's just straight up refusing to believe. That's not doubting. That's just, I'm just not going to believe it. <laughs> so, but one good thing, okay, I think sometimes we're really hard on Thomas and we're like, I can't believe it. Like, What if your friends all came to you and they're like, you will not believe what we saw. What is your reaction? Your initial reaction is like, yeah, right. I don't, you know, yeah, right. You're not like, oh, really? I totally believe you. It's usually like, dude, you're lying. But same thing. But what I do think is good, what I do think which is good about Thomas, at least the guy was honest about it. He cared enough not to fake it. He cared enough to say, to say what he was thinking and to be honest about what he was, what he was going to believe or not. He didn't just say the right thing all the while pretending to believe something else. And as a pastor, I, th I think this is the scariest thing as a pastor is you look around a room or you look at people that you've known for years and you're like, are you just pretending? Like, do you really believe this? Are you really a Christian? Or are you just saying all the right things and pretending to do all the right things? Uh, all the while, you don't really believe in the God of the Bible. And at least Thomas had, had the guts to say and to be honest with everyone in the room and say, Hey man, I won't believe it unless I see it. So at least there's that. But in verse 26, he said, And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came to the doors being shut and stood in the midst of, of them and said, Peace to you. And he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and, and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Now they, they meet again in the upper room. They gather together. Same thing. They lock the doors, um, hoping like, hey, man, maybe if we lock the door, Jesus will show up again like he did. And so he does. Jesus shows up in the room, materializes, and this time Thomas is there. And as Jesus shows up, it's the same greeting, peace to you. And then he walks towards Thomas. And Jesus, this is so cool. Look at what. Jesus says, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your finger here and put it in my side. Jesus rebukes Thomas, but he rebukes him in such a gentle and kind way that Thomas doesn't even know he's being rebuked. He tells Thomas, like, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, touch my hands. But I want you to notice something. He uses the same words that Thomas used. Why? So that Thomas would know that Jesus, who wasn't there in that room the first time, and wasn't there when he was having that conversation with the other disciples, that Jesus heard what he said. He heard what he said, and Thomas would know that Jesus was alive. He heard those same words that, uttered, that Thomas had said to that little crowd of people. And Jesus says the same thing back to him. And at that moment, Thomas is convinced. But he tells him, look at my wounds. Go ahead. Place your finger into my hands and into my side. If assurance is what you need, Thomas, he tells Thomas, look at my wounds. Look at them. And, and Jesus tells us, man, if we need assurance tonight, look at his wounds. As we come towards Easter, it's not for just the sake of us 
gathering together and whatever. Easter has to mean something different for you this year. It has to be something that you think about on your own. Yes, you're going to hear teaching about it. Yes, you're going to take communion, hopefully, with your family. Yes, you're going to join us at 10 a.m. Yes, you're going to do all the things that you normally get taught through Easter. But at some point, you have to consider and look into the wounds of Jesus yourself. And to be either blessed and assured or woken up to the fact that you don't believe what you have said that you believed. And you are confronted again with the reality of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Easter is a blessing because it forces us again, forces believers again, to look into the wounds of Jesus and to consider them. So... To be assured by looking into his wounds. Listen, be assured that your heart that was black as coal has been made white as snow, cleansed, that my sins and your sins, they've been paid for. And that's where we find assurance as we look into the hands, the feet, um, as we remember the scourging of Jesus, those wounds that he, that he carries and has. It's a reminder for us that... Jesus loves us. He cares for us. And to be assured of that again. Look what Jesus says there. Thomas says, answered and said in verse 28, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have been, you have seen, but you have not believed or you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In verse 30, it says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What Jesus says to Thomas in verse 27 at the very end, he says, blessed are those, or, or he says right, right there at the, beginning, at the end, do not be unbelieving, but believing. It's a command that he gives to Thomas. He says, I command you to believe. Basically, he's saying, I command you to make a decision and to come to decision. Make a choice. Start believing. And John reminds us in verse 30 and 31, the reason he wrote this whole gospel down at the end of his life and wrote it again, he says, I'm writing this so that you would believe, that you would be believing, that you would be convinced as you consider the works of Jesus, as you consider the death and the crucifixion, and you, and you consider the fact that he was buried and he's risen again, that you would consider these things and make a choice to believe in Jesus Christ. And we've talked about throughout this whole thing, uh, we've talked a lot about doubt and how doubt plays a role. Like we're, we doubt, we, we struggle with it all the time. Um, it's part of the human condition. It's part of not being able to see God and see his face or hear his voice audibly. But doubt is something that, listen, we pass through. It has to be a rest stop. Like no one, if you're planning a vacation, you're like, you know what? I'm going to spend my week at rest stop 85 off the off I-59. I mean, woo, what a place to stop. No one ever, you just stop and then you keep going on to your destination. That is what doubt should be and must be in the life of the Christian. It is a place that we pass through. It's not to be the destination. And so often, I think, I've been listening to some dumb podcasts where guys are just sitting in doubt and they never look to get out of it. They just sit and talk about it with no resolution to it or no answer to the end of it. 
And that is a that is a dangerous thing to just sit in doubt because that's not what we're supposed to be. We're to make our way out of it and past it. We want to end up at belief. We want to doubt is not where we stay. And if you're struggling with doubt, listen, you are not alone and you're wrestling with your faith. Okay, we've all been there. We've all been there. You're okay. We've all been there. But listen, don't stay there. Don't stay there. What Jesus says is you doubted and you you struggled with believing. But right now, consider it. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believe is what Jesus commands of him. Don't stay in your doubt. Move past it. Continue on. Listen, I think a lot of people stay in their doubt is because they stop seeking. And because they stop seeking, they stop finding. And that's what the Bible says. If you seek, you will find. But people stop because it's hard or it's difficult or it doesn't necessarily make sense to them. Doubt is something that we pass through. Thomas's conclusion was, my Lord and my God and, and listen, those words like my Lord, my God are very important. It's very important for us because unless you have said that personally, then your sins are not forgiven. Your sins are not forgiven and they will pull you down into eternal separation from God. Unless you can say that I believe in Jesus, he is my Lord and he is my God then your sins have not been forgiven. And so take the invitation of Jesus to look into his wounds, to see the evidence of his love for you and for me. And as Jesus said, believe, man. Don't just stay in doubt. Don't stay in that complacent state or just some kind of weird funk of your life. You're like, I'm just figuring things out. Dig in. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. It's not something worth just sitting on. It's not worth it. Like there are certain decisions that are not that big a deal. Like should I buy a, a Ford Echo or should I buy I don't know, that's not, a Toyota Echo or should I buy a whatever? That's not the biggest decision of your life. Should I, you know, should I go to, I don't know. What's a decision? I, lately I've just been like, you know, there's weird decisions out there. But lately, there's like, you're just so in your head all the time. And you're like, what do I do? Blah, blah, blah. This is the most important thing that will ever happen in your life is your decision to either believe in Jesus or to continue in unbelief. And I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not convinced, if you haven't asked him to be your Lord and your Savior, why are you waiting? Message us through this thing. Like we want to lead you to Christ. We want to give you the best gift we can give you, and that is the gospel. And so um, with that, man, that is chapter 20. 21 is coming. Uh, next week, we will hit it. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, God, for the gift of the cross and the wonderful assurance that we have of, of salvation because of what you've done for us and how you rose from the grave. We love you, Lord. I pray if there's anyone watching that is not convinced, that has not made that decision yet, um, is waiting for some reason, God, we pray that you'd reveal yourself to them. If they're in doubt and struggling with their doubts, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them, that they might know you and that they might um, 
move past this doubt into relationship with you. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you for the gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, God bless you guys. Can't wait to not be teaching through a phone. That'll be a, a wonderful day. That'll be a wonderful day. God bless you guys. If you need anything, you can message, send me a message through the Instagram or um, an email or whatever. But love you guys. And uh, hey, drink a great cup of coffee tomorrow. Just and think of me, all right? While you're drinking that great cup of coffee, just think. It's good stuff. All right? You guys are awesome. Katie, Carolyn, love you guys. Have a great night.